Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Episode 106 is coming at you this week. Well, I hope you guys had a good time this week working on some of your stuff, or hopefully you're going to be wrenching on it this weekend. Um, I did a little detailing on the uh, wheels with George T. from The Wagon over here, dialed in the BRMs and uh, hit the magnesium up. And I'm going to ask you guys to go to Let's Talk Dubs page and post up pictures of your rides. I'll put a question on there looking for pictures of your car. And uh, somebody's got something super interesting we want to talk about. I may have another listener on the podcast. Definitely got a good podcast coming at you today. Remember, you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com. Go to store, pick up some merch, pick up a shirt pack, some stickers, any kind of stuff that you want to get to support your boy for putting out this good content for you. Got a couple shout outs to do. First, I've got Mr. Chicken Dinner says, great place to learn about VWs. And uh, he's got a story on here. He bought a bunch of... He bought a 73 Super Beetle. Uh, Let's Talk Dubs has been his go-to resource for both general and specific information about VWs. Bill and his guests have helped me quickly get up to speed with the VW vernacular so quickly. His favorite episode, number 102. He loves how Bill and his guests, Elliot Van Sill, share the same stories about chasing rare VWs around the world. Well, we also have 73 Baja says, great podcast, so much good information. Bring a notebook, you'll want to take notes. So I'm glad I could bring that content to you guys. Shout out to those guys that uh, put a five-star review up. If you want to get a shout out, make sure you go put a a five-star review on Apple iTunes and under our podcast, and I'll make sure you get a five sh- uh, a shot out on the podcast. So on today's show, we've got Tiger Vasquez with A1 Performance, the exhaust shop down in Santa Ana, California. He's been at it for over 25 years building exhaust systems, and he's started from way back. We dig in deep and we find out who made the first Fat Boy muffler, which I didn't know he made the first Fat Boy. And there's a special circumstance behind it, so you guys will want to hear about that. But he's been in the game for a long time. He's also a member DKP. So lots of cool insight on him and what he's doing and how he got into the VW scene. So uh, we got that good podcast coming up for you guys today. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, like us on Instagram. And for video content, go follow us and subscribe on YouTube. So uh, without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week with A1 Performance Tiger Vasquez on this week's Let's Talk Dubs. on today's show uh i've got someone that you guys all know if you don't know who he is you know what he does or maybe you have some of his parts and on today's show i'm excited to have tiger vasquez from a1 performance on the podcast today tiger welcome to the podcast hey thank you very much for having me well besides you being the the exhaust mogul that you are in uh in the vw world on the podcast, we always start at the very beginning. What is your VW story, and how did you get into Volkswagens? Um, when I was um, probably, I was about 13, and uh, my dad had a friend that was uh, had a VW for sale. And so my dad just bought it, and he dropped it off at the house, and he said, you know, just uh, here's a car, and you can do your thing on it and you can work on it and by the time you turn 16 you'll have a car that's, so it's, that's a pretty nice dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> well your, your dad's a car guy yeah so uh with the vw thing we go way back um so we were my dad's like a an og glamis guy 
he was, uh, as a family, we were going out from the late 60s. Um, and so uh, he always had the VW sand rails. And from there, we got to meet um, a lot of the, uh, we were in Santa Ana. Mm -hmm. So um, as a kid, I used to go down uh, to um, Dean Lowry's shop. Yeah. Uh, yes. So they, they were in Santa Ana as well. And so, um, as a kid, we used to go down there and they were, used to build my dad's engines. Um, we used to go down to, uh, fat performance and K well racing engines. So as a kid, that's what I grew up around, uh, were these people that were always doing work on my dad's engines. And now you get your first Volkswagen and having experience like going with dad of the dunes and stuff like this, you were pretty excited to get to working on it. I mean, did you, Mm -hmm. were you just going for a driver or did you start out right out out of the gate in the performance game? Well, my dad actually was, I always think he was probably one of the first subscribers to hot BWs because as a kid, we had just stacks of hot BWs when it was quarterly. So I think it was quarterly, in the early seventies. So my dad would always just go to the newsstand and buy it. And so I grew up as a very young kid, just always thumbing through hoppy W's looking at all the, um, just all the old cars and a lot of the sand buggies. And when, uh, that, uh, what was that Cal look issue? 75. Yeah. So February 75. Right. Uh-huh. So my dad had that issue. He, he, like I said, that came in the mail, and I remember getting it and looking at that, and I was just blown away by the look of those cars. And at that time, I was probably 11 or 12, probably yep. younger. So that's what I grew up around, were always being around Volkswagens for the sand buggies and always having all these Hoppy W magazines. Now, you took this car, finished the, finished the car, and took it to high school, or what, what was your experience yes. with your first car? So I went to, uh, I lived in the city of Orange, and I went to Modern Day High School in Santa Ana. And um, so um, I, I remember just being in eighth grade, you know, and I used to ride my 10-speed down. There was an auto house that was in Orange, yeah. and uh, I used to ride my 10 speed bike and I used to work for my dad and everything I, everything I made money with, uh, I would run down to the auto house and pick up parts. Nice. And, uh, and the funny story is, is that the owner of that is Dave Griner. And to this day, we're really good friends. The owner of auto house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Auto house in orange. Now was now auto house for some of those that, 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 don't know that don't follow the scene that was was that like a franchise through southern california of several different like yeah. distributors of parts or what yeah so they were a, a vw performance parts distributor it was a franchise and uh so there was a one in uh orange and then there was also one in costa mesa that was on uh, newport boulevard so if i ever had a ride from somebody i would go down there and that was probably it was impressionable at that store in particular, because it was the first time that they had a car that was displayed in the store. And it was the first time I'd actually seen a car that was in a magazine to see it in person. And I just remember it just made such an impression on me. It just 
blew me away as a kid. What, um, now, which car was this? Was this the one with the flare, like like their flagship car? Which car was it? No, it was just I. I don't know whose car it was at the time. I was probably thirteen, maybe fourteen years old. So, I just remember just being mesmerized that you see a car from a magazine and you actually see it in person. And it was I, I don't remember whose car it was, but um, it just made a really big impression on me. And just being a you know just a very young age. I, I just cow look it just blew me away and i just always have loved it oh yeah i mean i think there's there's something especially back i mean you know some of the younger generation uh, we talk about this in the podcast a little bit some of the younger generation get a little spoiled where everything is delivered right to their phone you know they don't really have to go out mm-hmm. of the way get a magazine or do this but you know i think part of part of our generation was like the magazines, because you had like Life Magazine, People Magazine, all these magazines that were like mm-hmm. national news or whatever, and then you'd get your VW magazine, and it was like, wow, man, one day if I get my car in the magazine, but this is the big time, you know what I mean? And, sure. Uh, and to see something like that in person, I remember the first time, for, for me, the first time that I had gone to for my show was, I think it was the uh, 89 VW Jamboree, 89 or 90. <laughs> and, and, I, and I went there in Costa Mesa. And I'm, and I'm from Vegas, right? So all of our shows, it was like all the VW guys brought their VWs to the show. So there was, really wasn't anything new. You were just seeing all your buddies' cars cleaned up. And, and then yeah. we would go get dissed all together at the Hot Rod Show or whatever it was, right? Yeah. But we go, when I went to Southern California, man, and I just started seeing I, – I saw – 10 cars from the magazine, man. And my, and my jaw was on the floor and I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at these things. They're unbelievable, man. So, you know, it, it makes an impression on you, uh, at least to me when I was a kid and I try to explain stuff like this to my kids, you know, that, you know, your source of information was magazines yeah, and that's how you learned about stuff. And that's, that's the stuff you dreamt of was what you saw in magazines. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what, with, with the magazines and how they have an impression on us, you know, I just recently purchased, I'm not sure if you know, I recently purchased, uh, a rag, rag chop that was on the hot VW's 89 spring, uh, how to customize your Volkswagen special. And there were two, uh, two cars out of San Fernando Valley that were both, one was a chopped black convertible and one was a chopped red, uh, 65 with a rag top and it had, red brms on it from 1989 oh, and yeah i'd seen that yeah and and i just picked that car up recently because i did a cow look we, we did like this 80s podcast about some stuff and and i got to talking we ended up long story short located this car but when i got this car i never real like like it came up and i thought you know it's an 80s car it's something that's you know it covered three times twice in trends once in hot vws but the more i looked at this car the more i thought like that car had such an impression on me, like my first car I painted to look like that car. And it's like, yeah. it's just crazy how like, you know, and it took me a while to recognize that influence that this car had on me. But these things, yeah. when we first get, we first get exposed to these cars, it has such a huge impact on us. And then, you know, the, the, sure. the great thing about this hobby is we realize that we can actually create those things on our own, you know? Yeah. And it's, but it's interesting about, you know, when you go back and you talk about the influence that of, of what you're reading, um, you know, just it's as a kid, you know, your source of information was magazines and the importance of what you were seeing on the newsstand. 
And um, and when you see something, at least to me, it just it always made such a huge impression when I would see a car that was in a magazine and I see it in person. It was like I'm looking at a rock star. Yeah. And um, I always have a funny story. I, I deal with CD performance now, but I told them the story of when I was a kid, when you used to look inside Hoppy W's, the inside cover, mm -hmm. they always had um, the Clods buggies, um, you know, they had full page ads. Yeah. And so when we were a kid, I must have been, uh, it's probably around 13-ish, um, we were going up uh, on family vacation, my dad had a motorhome, and we were driving it uh, in that area, we're going to like Lake Kachuma. Yeah. And, and so, and I remember I was like, you know, I think CB performance is is on the way. I said, let's stop by. I want to see it because, you know, this is the place that you've seen in magazines. I want to see this in person. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I remember we got to Farmersville, and it's literally like a one-stop light town. Right. right. right? <laughs> and then when you see it, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like, like completely not what you're expecting to see. Yeah, it's very anticlimactic. It's just a business and it's a building. You yeah. know, there's, but I, it was just stuff like that always made such an impression on me as a kid. And um, so that's it. I just have a lot of influences from just magazines. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, the, the thing that magazines did for us then is the magazine sold a lifestyle to us. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, it, uh, and especially, you know, looking at the early, um, Catholic issues from, I think 75 was the first year. Yeah. And, and to this day, I still have that original magazine. Um, I, I used to write in these magazines with notes and I still have that magazine. That's my most prized possession is that it's just part of my childhood the, when I see it. The February 75 issue of the Catholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still have it, and and uh, I met. Uh, we went to EBI, and we got to go with uh, Jim Holmes, mm -hmm. and and I took him that magazine. I'm like, I have had this magazine since I was a kid, and and I wanted him to sign it. Yeah, and he was just blown away that I've had a magazine for 40 years or whatever it is. Yeah, well, you know the 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 car I was saying I just bought. I have a new a new copy of the issue of the '89 Spring uh, Hot mm -hmm. VWs, but for me the the reason I kept this one is because it had a year by year breakdown, and the the feature bummed me out because the only color pictures of this of this chop top were on the cover, a little small one, and then a two page spread one with the chop convert one with the other uh, chopped rag top, but. I kept this magazine for all these years because it was like my Bible. Like I went, but I went to it and I had year by year changes of the Volkswagen so that I, I trained myself to be an expert. Uh -oh. to, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that issue to, to drive yeah. around and look at cars and say, Oh, that's a 65. Yeah. Well, that's a 63. And what's the difference between this and that? And, and but that's how you learned. Well, yeah, you know, it was, there wasn't uh, you didn't Google it and, you know, do it that way. It's like you had to have a magazine and you pull it out and, you know, you study it. Well, and I, and I think what happens now is we, we have accessibility to information so quickly that we don't commit any of it to memory, you know? Yeah. And so we're actually as smart as we are, I think we might be getting a little dumber because like, I remember, you know, 20 years ago I had 
25, 30 phone numbers memorized that I would call all the time. And now it's like, <laughs> now it's like, I gotta, I gotta question my brother's phone. I'm like, that's, his, that's his number again. Cause you're so, Where's you're so used number? to, yeah, you're so used to just hitting a button, like boop, just call somebody. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's a different era. It, it, it evolves into uh, a new, a new, uh, a new method and means of the, getting the same things done. So, mm-hmm. so now, um, you get this car, you go to high school and then now what's the scene like back then? I mean, DKPs around cause you're, you're a member of DKP as well, right? No, 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 not back then. So I was going to, um, so as, as I was building this car, mm-hmm. it, it's like, um, uh, in Santa Ana, there was a friend of my dad's, my dad had a, a radiator shop in Santa Ana. So as a kid, that's, I used to work at the radiator shop since I was very little and I so I just grew up, you know, around cars and uh, and I used to take radiators off and, and install them. There's pictures of me when I was eight, nine, ten years old working on all these old cars. Yeah. And so a friend of my dad's at the time was Burl Wilson. And Burl Wilson at the time, I remember seeing his name in Hoppy W's and he had painted uh, Chris Klingeman's car and Mike Smith. So, uh, um, my dad, uh, said, Hey, you know, I got this friend that's Burl Wilson, you know, let's take your car over there and, and he can paint it for you. And I was just awestruck. Like, this is the guy that painted Chris Klingeman's car that right. I've seen in these magazines. It just, you know, and at the time, I think in Hoppy W's, they did a, uh, a thing on 12 second VWs mm-hmm. and it was Mike Smith and Chris Klingeman's car together. And, um, so I, I was just like, that's, I just love those two cars. And like I said, at the time I was, you know, maybe 14 by that time, 14, 15. And, um, so Burl Wilson, he had charged, uh, 500 bucks uh, to my dad to paint my car. Jeez. And, yeah. And I always remember he wanted 150 bucks to color sand it. And he did Burl Wilson just did these really nice paint jobs. His, just out of the gun. They were just really nice paint. And so, at the time, um, you know, I wanted it dechromed. Uh, it was a '67, so um, we had it dechromed. I had the uh, the pea shooters uh, filled in, uh, blinkers filled in. I put the Lucas lights on the front. Um, you know, pretty much just your typical cow look setup from. So that was probably around 1979, 1980, right around there. What wheels were you running back then? Uh, I bought some center lines, bought some used center lines off of, uh, in Santa Ana, there was a place called National Auto Parts, and they used to dismantle Volkswagens, and uh, they had some used parts that they used to sell up front, and one time they had some a set of center lines for 250 bucks, and that's, that's that was my wheels. So the car that I ended up building, it was a 67 uh D-chrome, cow look, black on center lines. And uh, so at the time, uh, you know, my first, uh, I drove it down to the DMV, and that's what I got my driving test in. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. In a, yep. cow, in a cow look bug? <laughs> cow look, and it was a badass car. It, it was a really nice car for, you know, at that time. Yeah, for a, t- for a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, my dad had... Uh, Actually, I, I could probably go back to, um, it's kind of how I got into even getting into the uh, exhaust business. Yeah. Um, 
was with that car is so I was probably 14, 15 at the time when I was in the middle of building it. It took, it was like a years long project. And um, so I remember going to the swap meet and I bought a turbo, a little, I don't even know what it fit. And I took it to my dad and I said, you know, hey, let's try to put this thing on this car. And so my dad uh, kind of helped me gas weld this kind of a header together to make it work. Yeah. And, um, and at the time, um, there was a guy, um, uh, his name was Dennis. I can't think of his last name, but he had a business. It was called Magnum engineering and he was turbocharging motorcycles at the time. And he was right next door to K. Well, Dave K. Well, he was in Santa. Both of them were yeah, in Santa. K. Well's a big turbo guy. Mm-hmm. Well, this was before he was a turbo guy. So, really? uh, yeah, Dennis with this Magnum Engineering, he actually started getting into these um, into the VW uh, turbo business, and so my dad and I just kind of cobbled together this turbo thing, and we could couldn't get it to run right. And at the time, I had just turned sixteen, and so my dad told me, he said, you know, take it down, see if Dennis can take a look at this thing and see what's wrong with it, and and um, and at that time. Uh, Dennis just kind of looked at it and said, well, everything's just kind of a mess. You should start over. And I didn't have the money to start over. Right. So I took it back home, took all that, uh, all the turbo stuff off. And my dad had a lot of leftover parts from the VW days of, uh, he just had a lot of uh, crankshafts and, and cases and heads and 48s and all kinds of stuff. So when I was, probably 16 16 ish mm-hmm. uh, i just put together a 2180 and just with a bunch of cobbled together parts i had some dino heads and my dad was always really cool and he's like yeah just whatever you can get to work just you can put it together so when i was probably 16 17 i had a 2180 with 48s and the whole thing wow that's yeah that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty lethal combination to give a kid <laughs> Nowadays, I wouldn't do that to my kids. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, I always tell my dad that. Like, what in the hell are you thinking? <laughs> Let me loose on the street with a twenty-one eighty with forty-eights on it. Yeah, yeah. So I used to just go race hell with that thing. Now, back in those days, like like Orange to Costa Mesa, that was a was a pretty decent drive back then. So it was like everybody's separate towns and all that stuff would like it would be uh-huh. a big deal for everybody to meet up. Or did you guys see each other on a regular basis or what? Well, I had multiple sets of friends because I went to uh, a modern day high school. It was a, it's a Catholic private school in Santa Ana, mm-hmm. and uh, and I lived in Orange. All my friends went to uh, Orange High and Villa Park High, so I had all of my all of my car friends were all in the city of Orange. Everybody from modern day, nobody was a car person over there. Right. I only had there was one guy. And all of school, he was a year older than me, and um, Jeff Bancroft, and uh, he was a year older than me, and I used to drive my 67 to school all the time, and he would tell me, because I didn't have a lock on the on the deck lid and stuff, and he used to always tell me, like, dude, it's like somebody's going to steal your carburetors, because then you had to park your car just in the in residential neighborhoods next to the school. Oh, really? And, yeah, so Jeff was the only guy that um, that had a VW, and he just had like a small motored VW. And um, but he he was a cool guy, and we used to hang out here and there. 
really no one at Modern Day was was really car people. All my car friends were really in orange. Right. Um, the side note is Jeff Bancroft actually years later he ended up buying uh, Kimco. Oh really? Uh huh. Yeah, he was he, he owned it for a few years. Wow, that's a that's full circle, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's always funny how all that stuff works. And then, so that's the black '67 that you drive to high mm-hmm. school. And then, yep. What happens to that car? You just sell it, and uh, no, we used to. Uh, I used to just raise all kinds of hell, but it was always breaking. I used to blow up gearboxes, and I never had money to put a really good gearbox in it. And so I just um, would always just kind of, you know, come up with some money and just I uh, used to break ring and pinions like crazy. And uh, used to go to Orange County Raceway on the Wednesday nights. I would drive it there. And, um, I blew up plenty of gearboxes over there. And uh, and then just I used to do street racing here and there. And But I really blew up a lot of gearboxes. And what, what did that car run in the quarter? Uh, 1290s. 1290s? 1290s on, on street tires. On street and tires in your car that you drove to school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was my high school car. And uh, like I said, it uh, it was just kind of a trip because at modern day, there was just, like I said, literally two guys were into cars and the rest. It's it's very academic type of a school. Sure. And, you know, everyone's um, focused on going to college. And I was just too dumb to figure it all out. So <laughs> and, and so now you're now you get out of high school, you go work for the old man or do you decide you're going to go do your own yeah. thing or how does that come about? So, and yeah, so when I graduated from high school, um, graduated from high school and, uh, I figured it was just time to sell the car. I was just kind of moving on time to grow so, up. Like, yeah. So, and then I had a, uh, um, I had a VW thing. So during high school, my dad had a VW thing. And so when my bug was broke, I'd always drive the thing. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of had, you know, a backup car. Sure. And my dad was always really generous with stuff like that. And um, so when I sold the bug, I had the uh, the VW thing and it was lifted. Um, at the time, there was a, a place called um, T-Mag that was in Santa Ana as well. Yeah. And they used to make lift kits. They did the uh, the body lifts. So I went down to T-Mag and so on the thing, I, I lifted it, put a body lift and um and dad, I think at the time, and dad was cool with this. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah. I ended up buying that car off of him. Yeah, I ended up buying it off of him, and then I took it all apart, painted it, lifted it, and it's not a very good off-road car. You know, it's, they just don't off-road very well. Right. But so I had that when I was I sold my bug when I was probably eighteen. I had the thing for a couple of years, and yeah, I just used to work for my dad just at the radiator shop, and. um then, you know, just working for your dad is always really hard. So we argued like crazy. And um, so I figured, so I was about 21. And then I figured um, I would just wanted to do something on my own. Yeah, you're 21 now. You know it all. And so yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that we were talking before the podcast about having kids. And you look yeah. at your kids sometimes and you're like, well, it must be nice yeah. to know it all. You know, don't listen to the yeah. old man over here because now we're, you know, we've yeah. changed roles and, talking to yeah. our kids but it's uh you know you're 21 yeah. and and you're 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 full of uh 
you're full of piss and vinegar and ready to go uh, go make mm-hmm. things happen on your own. So you decide. Now, you venture off on your own. Do you start right away with the exhaust shop, or what do you do? Yeah, so um, a friend of my dad's, uh, Bob Warner, he had a muffler shop. Uh, he was an old, old friend of my dad's, and he had a shop in Oceanside. And so uh, he always did really well with everything. He was real successful with it. And um, and so I called him up one time and I said, hey, you know, if you can show me the ropes of a muffler shop, um, because you have to actually back up. When I was in high school, um, I always loved the idea of just kind of making some making exhaust systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I was in high school, um, I had an, another friend of my dad had a muffler shop. And so I remember going down there. And I just wanted to, I always hated the look. I was just tired of the look of your typical dual mufflers. And so at the time I thought, you know, I want to put a muffler like under the car somewhere and just have the pipe just come out somewhere else than your typical dual muffler setup. Because at the time it was either a single muffler, dual mufflers, and that was it. Right. The, and, and you're talking about back in the classic like Thunderbirds or the tri exhaust. Yeah, so Thunderbird used to make a uh, glass pack muffler, and they always sounded awful. Um, But uh, if you wanted to be cool, it was the dual mufflers. But I was just so sick of looking at that. So so I was in high school at the time. This was probably 81. And um, went down to my other dad's friend's muffler shop, and he let me just go through, and I picked out a, a turbo muffler. And so I put the muffler... I just did this in my garage, put it under the pushrod tubes, kind of got a U-bend, and I had the pipe go back. And um, and it was, you know, it was a pretty cool setup. That ended up being copied by, I think it got copied by Bugpack, but that's that was copied for me. And, and you, now that's the original. That uh, was the turbo, what you see as a turbo hideaway. I did that in 1981. So the turbo hideaway that used to go up under the fender, because there was one that went under the fender. It looped back. So the the muffler was under the pushrod tubes, Mm -hmm. and then it came back with the U-bend, and then the tip ended up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so I did that. So now you had your own exhaust shop when you did that? No, I just did it. I was just, I was in high school. Oh, you're just just messing around. Yeah, and then at the time, uh, Fat Performance, we used to go to, as a kid, I used to go down, uh, Ron Fleming, Yeah, he remembers me, I, I used to go in there with my dad, they were building motors for my dad at the time, mm-hmm. um, I was probably 11, 12, 13, going to Fat, and just going with my dad to pick up motors, and so um, I was there one time, I was, I was probably around 17-ish, with my dad, and um, uh, I remember at the uh, Ron Fleming had that dragster with a VW engine or a, a VW Rabbit motor in it. And Greg Aronson was always really cool with me. And so when I was 16, 17, I went to Fat one time, and they had this off road racing muffler that was on the floor. And I asked Greg, I said, Hey, you know, can you sell that to me? Because I'd love to somehow adapt that onto my streetcar. Mm-hmm. And Basically, what it was, it, it had a uh, two-inch pipe, and then it had like a stinger welded onto it to some off-road race car muffler. So uh, so I went down there, and Greg sold it to me. I think it was like 65 bucks. 
And at the time, I was like, wow, 65 bucks, that's crazy yeah. for a muffler. Right. Because at the time, you could, buy a, you could buy a turbo muffler for nine bucks. Wow. And um, so I adapted this thing, and it, so it came off. I adapted it onto the header that I had. So it was two inch, and then it transitioned up to two and a half. And it was this little race car looking muffler. I mean, it was really a small little muffler. It was loud as all shit, but it was super cool. And people always ask me, like, where did you get that? And so it always stuck with me, um, you know, to that that notion of getting a small pipe transitioning to a large pipe. It, It had never been done on a streetcar. Right. Everything was single mufflers, dual mufflers, and that was it. And so um, fast forward to when I was, uh, I was about 21, you know, called up my dad's friend and I said, hey, can you, if I go down there, can you show me the ropes of, you know, doing, doing mufflers? Right. And um, so I actually went to work for him. I worked for him for about two days. And, uh, and then I ended up saving a bunch of money, saved up uh, money to buy a tubing bender, a lift, uh, some inventory. And so around 1986, 87, mm-hmm. um, I started on my own. And so my dad owned the building that we were in. So half of the building was my dad with the radiator shop. And then the other half was, uh, was myself with, with the muffler shop, with the muffler side. So... My dad and I always worked together, but we were two separate businesses. So this was, and and this was the original, the, the, and the name of this company at the time is A1, is A1 Muffler. Muffler. Mm -hmm. So it was A1 Muffler and uh, we were in Santa Ana. And uh, so at that time, you know, I was just doing just regular muffler work. Yeah, bread bread and butter stuff, stuff. bread and butter stuff, not uh, trying to make VW stuff. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's make it's about making making a living. Sure. And um, so, but I would take on. I had an idea. I've always had that idea of getting a small pipe and transitioning. You know, now it's done a million times over, mm-hmm. but back then it was just wasn't done. And um, so I had a friend. Uh, there was two people. Uh, one was Bill Schwimmer. We were we went back to uh, our high school days and hanging out at Auto House, and. So um, it was Bill Schwimmer, and uh, there was another guy. He was a skateboarder. His name was Freddie DeSoda. And so uh, Freddie was uh, – uh, I've known him, you know, for a few years prior. He was another orange guy. And so I went to Freddie, and I said, hey, I've got this idea. And at the time, Freddie had a notchback. So this this was 1986, 87. Uh-huh. And I told him, I said, hey, I got this idea of let's come off of the header. We'll come off with, you know, it's inch and three-quarter off the header opening. We'll transition up to two and a half, and I'll get like a um, like a, a V8-style muffler, you know. And and he's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do it. And so, it didn't, you know, this had never been done before. It, it's Basically, it's the fat boy muffler that, that's been done you know, 10 million times over. Sure. Sure. And so, uh, I did it for Freddie. And then, uh, the second customer, um, that I had was Bill Schwimmer. And so, um, you know, Bill's just been a lifelong friend. And, um, and so 
with Bill, he was always a really good ambassador, you know, for promoting what I was doing. So at the time, I didn't have a streetcar, but Bill was going to the uh, the classics, the BW classics at the time. And, you know, he'd always have this huge crowd around his car asking about his muffler. And uh, so I would always remember every June, I would just get this huge influx of customers you know, after the after, classic, <laughs> after the classic, my phone would just ring off the wall and I never wanted to advertise it. I always liked the idea of just kind of doing things under the radar. You know, I, I don't like whoring things out. You know, I like, I've always liked the notion of having, you know, something cool, but just, I, I just don't like the notion of whoring stuff out. Sure. Doing it for the bottom line. You got to make a living, but I like to keep things cool. So I never went to any shows with it, never promoted it, never advertised it, but I just would, you, you pretty much had to have a referral in order for, for me to, to build this. So yeah, it's kind you had of to have some, some street cred from somebody that you knew that you got, you got to, you had, you to, had to know somebody <laughs> to get the, the to special. Know <laughs> yeah. You had to know. I didn't advertise. It wasn't in magazines. Um, you know, I think, um, uh, there were a couple of cars that came out in, in Hoppy Debbie's at the time. So this was late 80s that you would see some some cars with it. And who, who named it the Fat Boy? Was that somebody came up with that name on there? Or is that uh, like people started it, seeing Bill's exhaust and all his exhaust and somebody decided to go into production with him? I never, I never had enough sense to actually put a name to something. I never understood that, you know, when people see something, it has to have a name. Right. So people would always just come in and they go, I want, I want a muffler like Bill. So, um, so we, that's what we would do. We were kind of building the same thing. The, the fat boy that you see today is exactly what I was building in the late eighties. And, um, and then it wasn't until it must've been the mid nineties when, um, Kimco of all people, mm-hmm. Uh, then they started advertising them. They had somebody else copy what I was doing on scale, and then they named it the Fat Boy. And I was like, "Shit!" You know, you realize the importance of putting a name on something. So, did you look at it kind of like? Uh, and so, you had a relationship with them. So, how did that go along? Like from your perspective, like this is your idea, your design. It's kind of your signature move, and. Somebody, kind of pisses you off. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like you're looking at this thing and thinking like, well, someone should give me some credit for that. I should get a couple bucks because it's my idea and it's my, it's mm-hmm. my everything, you know? Well, so I, I was in the process. I was looking into patenting, putting a patent on that idea uh-huh. of the notion of the transition going from, you know, the transitioning is where the key is. That's how a, like a megaphone works and, you know, a stinger. And, um, you know, it's through the scavenging and it was just a small little scavenger with that little transition pipe. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was looking into putting a patent on it. And at the time there was somebody that was copying what I was doing. And I went to his, this guy's shop and I said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of, or actually I'm in the process of putting a patent on that. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, that's nice. Um, Well, just when you get it patented, I'll take a look at it and I'll just change one thing here and one thing there and that'll be mine. And that's when it kind of hit me that there's no way I'd be able to patent it and and enforce it. 
Right. I'm not making a million dollars off of this stuff. It's sure. just I'm just I'm making a living, but I'm not making bazillions. Right, but you're, the you, time, you're looking at it thinking like, you know, you're you're trying to figure out how to protect your intellectual property by you coming up, you being an enthusiast and coming up with this, and then someone just kind of capitalizing on it from, mm-hmm. oh, that's a pretty good idea. It looks good. Kids like it. I'll just make it. It's the oldest story in the book. Right. Right. I mean, you know, look at Myers Manks. You know, it's 100%. like, <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's just, you know, it's going to be just, uh, you know, a game of whack-a-mole, you know, and so you know, if I'm not, if not, if I'm not making, I'm making a living, but I'm not making a bazillion dollars off. Sure. It. Sure. And it's not, it's not going to be worth the effort. It's not worth the expense. Yeah. And, um, you know, and years later, you know, Paul Schlave, you know, we always had, um, conversations about that, you know, making something and what people, when people copy it, yeah. you know, what, what do you do? So, um, so that was really the first thing, and be, they became extremely popular. And that's funny because I didn't coin the name Fat Boy. Everybody refers it as a Fat Boy nowadays, and I've realized the importance of putting a name on something. When you come up with something, I put a name on it. Yeah, and you and you made it. So let me ask this question: If someone has a car and they think they may have an original, because you probably made of the original ones. Is there anything that you did to them to, to make them stand out to where someone could look at it and say, like, this is an original from Tiger, one that he did? Um, actually, I just talked to a, an old friend of mine, Greg Britton. Uh-huh. Uh, Greg Britton has a, a, a fabrication shop in Anaheim. We go back. Uh, he went to a different high school. He went to Foothill High School. But we all ran in the same circles of friends. And uh, Bill Schwimmer and Dave Mason and Glenn Gasky and, um, uh, you know, all these guys, Greg Britton, he was the youngest out of all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so Greg, uh, I think it was recently, it was probably a few months ago, we were talking on the phone and he said, you know what? He was cleaning out his attic. He was moving his shop from Stanton to Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And he said, Tiger, in the attic, I've got, it's got to be one of your first mufflers that you ever made. And, you know, I, I don't know how I would recognize what year it was made. I never dated them or anything, but, um, you know, he was commenting on how it's been sitting up in his attic for 30 years. Now, did you use a specific, but I mean, did you use a specific type of muffler? It was a 12 inch blah, blah, blah. And the bend was a this and that. Like, I mean, if you saw one, you could tell if it's one that you made. Yeah. You get a general era of when it was made because you figure that, you know, in the late eighties, there, there were no performance mufflers. No, there weren't. The The only performance muffler. And that's why, you know, I had this idea that the only exhaust that you ever saw was either a glass pack or a quiet pack. There were no other mufflers that were being used at the time. Right. And the only thing that was out there was a turbo muffler, you know, and a turbo muffler came from, it was a muffler that was used on the Corvair turbos. That's where the turbo muffler came from. Oh, really? So, so it's a factory replacement muffler for the Corvair mm -hmm. turbo. It was a muffler that was designed for the Corvair turbo. And it was basically, it's a 14 inch long, bodied muffler um and a typical muffler has three baffles three round two baffles a turbo muffler has two baffles so with one less baffle it it just flows more and that's that was it and like muffler speak that's like the difference between a two chamber three chamber flow master right 
Right. And so, um, and then a glass pack was really, you know, a glass pack is a straight through muffler. So technically that was the most high performance muffler that there was, was a glass pack, but they always just sounded like shit right? and they just didn't have the right look. So a turbo muffler, just a, you know, just a fat looking muffler on the back of a car. When people saw it, it just blew everybody away. Yeah. Something different, and, you know? Well, it was totally different, but that was the only muffler that was available. And then it must've been in the early nineties. Um, a company came out with a muffler called a super turbo which um, that was really the first performance muffler that I can think of. And so at that time, early 90s, we converted most of the fat boys that we were doing, we converted them to the Dynamax uh, Super Turbo. And um, at that time, Flat 4, um, you know, they, they were selling the crap out of them. You know, they used to order, you know, 50, 50 mufflers at a time. And... Um, they, boy, they sold the hell out of those things. And they'd buy them from you? So this is when you started going into production and marketing yeah. it? Yeah, early 90s. Uh, probably 91, 92, right around there. And it was still re- really low-key. They would advertise it, you know, um, they would advertise it in Japan. Mm-hmm. and uh, But nobody was really advertising that in the States. But they were probably my first wholesale customer. And um, to this day, we still we still deal with them. So for flat, but, uh, so flat four is the is really the first person that said, "Hey, we know you build these. We want them from the original guy who built mm-hmm. them." Yeah, and it's funny. I was just talking to Bill Bill Schwimmer this evening, and you know he was just talking about uh, now from flat four. You know, and it's funny that you know we go the three of us just go way way back. You know, yeah. 30, 30 plus years. Um, so yeah, they were the first customer that really stepped up and bought them. And then here in the States, you know, like I said, Bill, he was always a really good ambassador, you know, for, for promoting what I was doing. And, um, and I I didn't like to do it on a scale anyway. I didn't want him to, I didn't want to see him advertised in magazines. I just, I, it was just cool when you could do them on cool people's cars, you know? Yeah. Like kind of pick, pick your audience. Yeah. Yeah, I used to turn people away. Did you? you? Know? <laughs> yeah, if, if it was a local guy in his car, I didn't think uh, you know. I, I just, I just liked. I've always liked just building exhaust systems, and I just, um, and even to this day, it's like I will promote certain parts on certain people's cars, and we will do a lot of one-off stuff. I have a lot of, I have a basement full of ideas, good and bad, and so certain people I'll do certain things for him well you know what's 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 interesting is you know the fact that you're you you know you're known for this specific type of something that you're doing but it's also something that you just came up with as um you know something that you do this one-off thing and you're performance minded and and it's just this thing and 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 it comes from your enthusiast background but it's also kind of become a staple in, in in the newer generation of cow look cars you know, because mm-hmm. if you're doing a retro cowlick car, and, it, and it's interesting how, as you look across the timeline, right? You have your '60s cowlick cars with like your biscuit tuck interior, uh, you know, '60s '70s with like biscuit tuck, biscuit tuck, polyglass tires, you know, that stuff, and then your '70s and '80s, and then you go into the '90s, and the '90s cowlickers are all like super turbo or fat, or you know, or the turbo mufflers, 
you know, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. So in essence, you just building this thing has also morphed into becoming part of the checklist for the, the, the status quo cow look setup. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've actually had discussions with Ron Fleming about this, that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people consider the cow look to be pigeonholed into, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the hoppy W's 75 issue when it had the picture, you, you know, the illustration of the car of what components had to be on the car. Right. Right. And that's been the model for years and years and years. And, and some clubs feel that you can't deviate from that illustration. And what I've talked to Ron Fleming about is the only thing that you could see that's, that's deviating from that illustration is the exhaust. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think you've cornered the market and, on both, <laughs> but, but it's not, you know, it's not like I've tried cornering the market or doing anything like that. I've always liked just, just doing cool things and, you know, it's, I know I have to make a living. That's, that's the first thing I have to look after. Sure. But I just don't like the the notion of of just whoring things out, just coming up with something, putting a full page ad in a magazine. I was always very reluctant to deal with people that would promote it to that level. Yeah, you know. And so when you go back to the cow look and what you know what features should be on a cow look car, like I said, Ron and I we had these discussions. Is that why is it that it's just the exhaust that can be different? So if you're running a, an 80 style cow look car, you can run a fat boy muffler. You can run a sidewinder style exhaust. Uh, you know, we have other things that we make. You can run any exhaust, but the rest of the car, the other 99% of the car has to be pigeonholed right. into that particular look. It, it fits a narrow, a, a narrow, uh, a narrow gap of specific things that either fall that fall in or out of the cow look. And I don't think it's right. No, but I, and, but I also think it's 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 also generational um, in regards to like first gen, second gen, third gen cow look, and even today that kind of stuff. Because uh, you know when you're talking about wheels and tires and look and and all and all those different things come together. You know, even even with the BRMs now, there's like you have the original BRMs, you have the flat four BRMs, you have the later model BRMs, and there's all these variations in between and something that it was funny because when I remember when the first BRM came out was like early 2000, like late 90s, early 2000. And I thought like, holy cow, man, they came out with this wheel and I'm thinking like, man, how many sets of these can they really sell? You know what I mean? And here here we are 20 years later and there's probably three companies making BRMs uh, yeah, just, yeah, and it's just, and it's it just part of it. It kind of, you know, when they started copying the Fuchs, right? You know, you know the sentiment that I felt that it's the Holy Grail, and why would you do something like that to the Holy Grail? Yeah, water it down. Yeah, and and it's just you know when you break it down, it's just people making money, and it might be why the big companies always make more money than I'll make. Well, because... it, but but they're, they're, it's also a diluted. It's a it's a diluted product, and so as, as much as in some circumstances it kind of it, it detracts from the original. You know, I, my I had that uh, 
my Gia that was on the Cosmics. I had a Type 34 Gia that was on the Cosmics that came out in the magazine years back. After that car came out, and the funny part is my, my personal opinion on the Cosmics, for example, similar to the BRMs, I think I think this the standpoint was they weren't really good-looking wheels at the time because everybody liked chrome. They didn't like paint. They, you know, it was just didn't fit the time and it was, it was underappreciated, but it's like, you know, after, you know, my car debuted in 09, I bought the Cosmics in 07 and it's like, then you go 2010 and they start mass producing Cosmics and it's still, it's a classic wheel look. And I thought to myself, like, I mean, who would ever remake Cosmics? Like how big of the market is that? You know what I mean? And now it's like, you know, so many people are getting Cosmics. But I think, you know, it's, it's the, it's the wheel comes out and it's, it's too ahead of its time. Like the BRM. Yeah. And I I just think that there's just something about, I I don't know. It's, it's like, sometimes I look and it's like, I just looked at some things of being, it's not always about money, but I know, you know, the reason big businesses are big is because they know how to make money and they know something when they see it and to put stuff on scale and that's how you make money. And, you know, if, if I go back, you know, in the nineties, um, we were actually doing a lot of, uh, we were doing a, some of the VW stuff. It's just, my heart wasn't a hundred percent into it during the nineties. Right. And so what we were doing, we actually, you know, there wasn't a lot of, like real specialty exhaust guys that could fabricate Mm -hmm. in the nineties. So in the nineties, you know, we actually got into doing a lot of, um, the import stuff. Yeah. The the import market got super hot. Yeah. for Well, but see, there was nobody, uh, it was, uh, the first, the first Acura Integra that was ever, uh, turbocharged was done by me. Oh really? Yeah. So, for some reason, we used to have a lot of these uh, these guys in L.A. that used to hear about stuff that we were doing, and so they we used to, we used to get tons of these of the the tuner guys. But before they were called tuners, um, you know, I remember I had this one guy uh, Herman Chan, um, and uh, he came to me and he said, "Hey, you know, I've got this turbo. You know, I heard that there's a way to get this thing to fit on a." Um, it was an Integra, so this must have been 1990. Yeah, early 90s, yeah, for sure. There, there was nobody doing it. And so we kind of come up with this plan to um, to build these turbo manifolds. And, uh, and then we, at the time, we were there was no one building intercoolers. So we would build, um, but do it more on the prototype level. So we would come up with a turbo kit. You know, I would develop a the header the intercooling piping and the intercooler and everything. And, but I never liked the notion of taking it on scale and just whoring it out. Right. To me, there was always more to just making a custom one off, you know, super cool car, even though my heart was never into imports like the Honda crowd and all that. Sure. And so we used to do a lot of stuff with, um, a lot of the big, uh, tuner companies like AEM. They were in LA and, you know, they would, you know, have these cars brought in from LA for us to turbocharge and we wouldn't get them running. We would just fabricate the headers and the exhaust system and the intercooler part of it. Cars go back to them and then they would get it running. And 
you know, but I always liked the notion of just keeping things just on these small number, just keeping it cool. The reason those companies all got big is because they saw the bigger picture. Sure. And and then by the late nineties, I just got completely tired of it. And I just, I, I my heart was never into it, but, um, and then that's late nineties is when we really got into the VW stuff a lot more heavy, but, um, it kind of goes back to the wheels of taking something and just whoring it out purely for the money. Yeah. Now, and, and to me, it's just, I just always hated that notion. Now, when, when you started getting people showing up from different parts of LA for you to turbo things and do, do uh, yeah. custom modded exhausts. Now, clearly you've got to have a mandrel bender to do these, <laughs> these types of turns and all this stuff. And I don't think, and I think part of the issue was everybody in the VW scene, unless someone's got the tools or the equipment to do some one-off stuff and start taking things down a new road, there's usually you don't you usually never see corporations never develop that kind of stuff. You know no. what I mean? It's always a guy like you who's passionate about it and thinks like, oh, this is some kind of cool, and this is my hobby, so I'll put more time than it's worth into this to do something cool and something one-off, but you know, from that ingenuity comes this great idea that a bunch of people copied. But the cool factor is that you came up with it as a true enthusiast for the hobby. You're the guy that designed and developed it and then, you know, and selectively built it and put it out there. And I still think there's a way that you can maintain that, you know, your integrity for what you do, which is like, even with your mufflers right now, I mean, there's, you have, you know, your genuine A1 exhaust that comes from your shop that's got, you know, your badges and stuff on it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's a big grind to knock that stuff out on a consistent basis and be able to get to do some sort of a yeah. production level on it, you know? And and that's the thing. It's like when people come in, you know, we get people that, especially during the summertime when people are on vacations and they're in SoCal and they want to come by. I think the biggest thing is that people are just blown away that we're just, we're still a small shop. Right. And, and I, to this day, I, I enjoy going into work and I enjoy, I enjoy what I do. And, um, and I just like, I like the scale that I'm at now, you know, and people are, um, I, I just, I believe that what you're doing is you have to have your heart into it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not about just, uh, you know, people are always blown away that I, I answer the phone or they actually see me working. And, <laughs> yeah, like, and you're still, I, you're not in a vault counting all the exhaust money. <laughs> well, that's, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I just couldn't imagine going into work, sitting behind a counter, just taking orders. And I'm sure if, I, you know, if, if, if I could take it to another level, that's what it would be. It's just not what I want to do. Right. You know, I like, I like when people come in and I, and there's just something about, I like just being small. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it's, it's about making a living, but it's not about just raping and pillaging for every last scrap of money. You know, I, I believe in what I'm making. No, no question. I mean, and I think the difference is, you can tell through the quality of product that you put out that you're that you're that involved and engaged in in what you're doing because you you care about the quality that leaves your shop you're concerned you know you've got a name and a reputation that you want to keep 
yours, you know? And yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually have, I don't know how many of these you built, but I have a, <laughs> I have an A1. I bought it from you. It's got to be, it's when I was building my Gia. So the Gia debuted in mid-2009. It was in the magazine 2008 it debuted. So probably 2006, 2007, I ordered a merged Type 4 exhaust from your oh, show. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many of those you ever made. But yeah, I still do a lot of them. I, I, have, I have one. And... Uh, you know, and then I ended up going for, for the, the Gia, I went a completely, it was so far over the top on that car. It's just ridiculous. But, um, yeah, it wasn't expensive enough. I think is, is the issue. Cause that car was like, everything had to be twice, twice to three times what it cost anywhere else, just because it was the more money than brains project. But, uh, yeah. you know, so, yeah. sometimes you get those now with, with the exhaust systems, when do you decide to come up with, cause you've got the, you, you know, you've got the fat boy that you're doing for a long time. When do you turn the corner and come up? It's, it's like, it's funny cause this exhaust system, it's like the narrowed beam, right? It's like yeah, something that was nobody, so simple in concept. No one ever thought about it. And nobody knows where the first one, who did the first one. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. that fat boy muffler, you know, I could stand on a street corner and scream, you know, <laughs> I'm the one that made this. It, most people could care less, but, you know, to me it was, you know, that's, it's, it's personal. It's part of, you know, it was a part of me that, that started that. And I really just did it just, and even to this day, like I was saying earlier is that I like doing stuff that's cool. That's, um, you know, that, but I have to be able to make stuff on some sort of scale, sure. You know, I could come up with. I've done a lot of really complicated things, uh, exhaust wise, and and I look at it and I'm like, it's just too complicated to try to make on any level. Yeah. And um, but um, but now, now how does yeah. the idea for the sidewinder come about? Where does where does all that? How does all that oh. evolve? Yeah. So with that, it was actually kind of interesting. Um, because Eric Geyser, you did a yep. podcast with him. I did. And so uh, he was another one of the guys that we used to hang out with in Orange. He was, it was the same Orange crowd. And, um, you know, he hung out at the auto house. And um, so at the time, I think he was working, I'm not sure which magazine he was working, but this was around 19, it was around 1989. And I remember he came to me and, um, and at that time, I was doing a little bit of stuff for small car specialties. Um, they used to send me some customers for some one-off headers and stuff. And uh, so I was kind of getting my feet wet and building, you know, complete headers because I really wasn't doing that at the time. Uh-huh. And so uh, so this was around 88, 89. Eric Geyser, he had a convertible bug or something. And he came and he said, Tiger, I, I want to do something different. I want the header to go like forward or sideways or something. And I remember like, there's nowhere to go. It has to go out the back. Right. And he's like, come on, there's gotta be something you can do. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where you would put the exhaust, (laughs) you know? And, and then, uh, but I always had it in the back of my head of, you know, just to think of it. And so, um, it must have been in the late 90s, early 2000s. Honestly, I have no idea when I did the first one. Yeah. Um, 
And at that time, uh, I was doing some Speedster exhaust for uh, some of these kit car Speedster guys. And um, this one guy was just like really adamant. He's like, Tiger, I want you to do something different. I don't want it to come out the back. And then I kind of just thought, you know, about this whole thing of Eric Geiser always talking about it. And so it was really the first one that I ever did was on a Speedster. It was on a Speedster kit car. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then uh, I forgot what the customer's name is. I can't think of his name. But he used to send me, because he, he would go to some of these Porsche shows, and then it was the same thing. He was this guy that he would always tell people, you know, take it take it over to Tiger. And, and so at the time, we were just custom building one at a time, one at a time. And they were so time-consuming to build on that level. And then from there, we just kind of it really started taking off. And I remember at the time I had a customer up in NorCal, um, Bruce, uh, Bruce rewarder. He had a company called, um, eyeball, eyeball engineering. Eyeball engineering. Yeah. Right. He's the guy that came up with the, uh, the, IFS front yeah, end. The, the correct. The, the, uh, mm-hmm. cause I saw him at the swap meet and I said, and I saw it and I said, I said, how come you don't make those to sell them? And he goes, oh, I don't want the liability. And I said, would you? And then I said to him, well, would you sell the idea to somebody and the designs? And then he yeah. says, no, I don't think I would. And then shortly thereafter, he started producing them because I thought to myself, I, I used to have a friend that's really good at, at kind of come up with ideas and inventing, and he would always get scared about the liability, like the liability. And I'm like, yeah. that's what liability insurance is for. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Get, get it done, get it out to the market, you know? like. And he was a guy, I think he was kind of on the same level. It was for him, it was a hobby. Sure. I think he liked doing them. He was up in Fresno. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he was always, a, he was a super cool guy. God, he was a, such a nice guy. And, um, and I had somehow he got a picture of one of those sidewinders and, um, and he called me up one day. Cause at the time we were selling them just fat boy mufflers. And, uh, I remember, he called me up and he's all, holy shit, Tiger, what is that? That is the coolest thing I've ever seen, Yeah, that Sidewinder thing. And um, and he just says, uh, I got a bunch of guys over here. I'll take 10, right? Oh, and wow. I was like, and it was like the first guy that stepped up and put in an order. And at 10, I was like, wow, I really got to be onto something with this. Yeah. And, and so he was really the first guy, and, and this is up in Fresno, which is like, there's not a whole lot of <laughs> stuff going on up in Fresno. There's not. Hey, CB Performance is a farmer's Yeah. <laughs> and so um, so he was really the first guy that stepped up and really started buying them, and, and then they just took off like wildfire. So, and um, But actually before that, we were actually making a header that we still make today. Um, we call it a, a lowdown header. And basically, it, the, the header goes out the back like a traditional merged header, but the number two and four pipes um, we drop them down. They don't cross across the um, they don't cross across the uh, breastplate. Oh, okay. And because um, it was it was kind of the same thing where I looked at a traditional header and I'm like, I can't make just that same thing. Sure. I refuse to. I refuse to just make something that's been made a hundred million times over. Right. So the, the idea was to bring the pipes down, get the heat away from the apron. We ended up making a really short tube header. And um, so that, that must actually been around 2001 ish is when I started making those. 
and and those took off really well. We we still make them to this day, and so it was probably a year or two after that is when we started doing the sidewinder thing. Yeah, this, the 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 sidewinder. Uh, you know, they didn't have the well. So, what year would you say the sidewinder came out? I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking two thousand one, two thousand two. But actually, you have to back up a little bit. It's kind of when the Fat Boy thing really blew up. Was I think it was right around the year two thousand, mm-hmm. and um, it was right around the year two thousand, and um, we. For a few people, I used to, we would make them and then we would have them chromed. Because at the time, working with stainless steel, for one, there really wasn't a stainless steel muffler that you could buy. Polished stainless steel mufflers in the late 90s didn't exist. Yeah, There, there was nothing of the quality that you see today that was ever made. And um, so what we were doing for a couple of years for just friends of mine we were making a muffler and we were having it chromed. But when you chrome it, you know, they have to dip the whole thing in all these solutions. So we would have to drill a hole in the muffler. When we got them back from chrome, we would have to wash them, drain them. We'd have to weld the hole back up where you couldn't see it. It was really labor intensive to sure. chrome a whole muffler assembly. And that car came out. There was a car that we did. It was with a three-inch muffler with a magnaflow muffler i think magnaflow had just come out with their mufflers at the time yeah and they were only in aluminized steel you they didn't make anything in stainless at the time which was kind of that so, that looks like that chrome out of a can kind of a flat like a little bit of a yeah to aluminized it. steel yeah uh-huh. so the only option if you wanted a shiny was to make it in you'd have to have it chromed so that car came out on the cover of hoppy w's and when I think it was right around 1999 when that car came out. I don't know whose car it was. And when that car came out, my phone has never stopped ringing since. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. My phone rang off the wall from that from that cover. And um, and literally, it's never stopped ringing since. Literally, it's that was when which that was car? Which car was it? What was the car that was on the cover? I can send you a photo of it. I've, I know I've got a photo. It was, I think the car was, it was a white cow look car. And, and the, and the, the, the photo or the angle of the photo was taken from the rear of the car. So it was all about the muffler. Sure. And then the following year I decided to uh, build another, um, to build a bug because we've been doing all these VWs. And at the time I didn't have a street car. I just kind of was out of the scene. We were still doing a lot of, um, we were still going to Glamis, doing a lot of, uh, um, you know, going to the desert and Off-road still stuff. around VWs, just sure. not into streetcars, like for my own personal use. So it was right around the year 2000, um, we decided to get back in it and build a streetcar. And um, when I took that to uh, Nick's, it was Nick's Burgers at the time, and uh you know, Bill Schwimmer and the guys, um, I wasn't in DKP, but all of those guys were longtime friends. And, um, you know, I pulled up right in front and there was that, you know, that muffler that I had was a three inch Magnaflow muffler that was all chrome that I had made Yeah. and crowd around the car. Everybody just went wild overseeing it. And, um, and then Dean Kirsten, you know, 
you know, introduced himself. And so my car, we put it on the cover. I think it was right around the year 2000. And that's when the phone really just went off the wall. So from that one car in 99, when my car came out in 2000 on the cover, it was, that was really when the fat boy thing really just went to the moon. And how many do you think you've made so far? Thousands and thousands. <laughs> really? Thou- thou- yeah, it's got to be thousands, thousands of, of them. those things. Thousands. Okay. The funny story is, you know, my dad, he's in the same building that I am, but, you know, my dad's always been this, you know, one of these naysayers. And I'll never forget, about 20 years ago, he walks up, you know, and we're making a whole, got these things everywhere that we're making. And he's like, how many more customers can possibly buy those things? The Volkswagens? I don't, those fat boy mufflers. Yeah, right, right. This was 20 years ago. Yeah. And he said, I don't think there's any more customers that are going to buy those. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you stop being so negative. You know, it's like, but, you yeah. know, he's like, he's like, how many VWs can possibly buy those things or customers buy those things? No, that's crazy. And, there's a lot of customers all over the world, you know, and it's, it's crazy. It's, it blows me away. I've made a living off of this for all these years. Well, and especially if you can stay tied to something you love. I mean, it's one thing to grind out kind of just doing your everyday stuff. But once you finally break, I mean, I think, I think this is what, and I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming from, from the standpoint of what percentage of your business is VW, this exhaust is where you kind of took the turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was right around when it, when, when it really hit the fan was right around 2000 because my car came out on the cover. And actually at that time I was actually reluctant to even put it on the cover. I didn't like the notion of everybody seeing it. Yeah. Right. I'd still like the notion of just keeping it under the radar. Sure. And, and I remember at that time I was like, okay, I'm at a crossroads. Let's just, let's do it. Cause Dean had said, I want to put it on the cover and I, I remember I just kind of paused, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted it on the cover and, and, um, I just, you know, I just didn't like the notion of it just being completely hoard out because knowing that it was going to be copied 50 million times over. Yeah. I mean, I think you get, so, you get kind of to a point where you're reluctant to, to expose it because as much as you'd love to see you being able to be successful with it, you don't want other people just to steal your idea. You know what I mean? It's not even like stealing the idea and just running with it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, I just liked it on the, I just liked it seeing it on friends' cars and, and really cool cars. And I, you just liked seeing it on certain types of cars. I just didn't want to see it on everybody's car. <laughs> yeah, you know? because that's like, that's like the blessing and the curse, right? Like once it gets yeah, so popular, it, I mean, it, everybody's got one. It sounds ridiculous when you lay it out, but it's kind of like, like I said, I just like doing certain things and just keeping them cool. And like, um, like, uh, like to this day, you know, we will take on certain, certain projects. I'll take on certain, certain things. And one of the things we got involved with was doing, uh, some of these Lamborghini exhaust. And, um, we, so we build some, uh, Lamborghini, like the hurricanes and, um, Audi R8s and stuff uh-huh. like that. So you and do custom, I, you do custom exhaust for those cars too. We, we do what what I call low production stuff. It's just we we will build them. We don't need the car to build them. You know we have fixtures to make them. And but the one thing I see it's just 
you know, the people that own those cars, they don't have the passion and the love that VW people have. Right. You know, they're just buying it because their whole neighborhood will come out to look at it. They make a whole bunch of noise. It's just, they're, they just don't have the, the, the heart and soul that a VW owner has. Right. You know, and with the VW stuff, you know, this just goes back, you know, when I was at the age when you were just influenced and just this love of cars, it was just VWs from day one for me. Yeah. And with the Lambo stuff, I just don't see it. And, and I really just kind of have been phasing out of it because I really, it just doesn't do anything for me, you know, to see a brand new Lambo, they just don't do anything for me. Yeah. We talked about that. We talked about how, you know, as a car guy, you know, and having your love be Volkswagens, every now and again, we'll step out of, you know, I've got a Buick Riviera, I've got a Corvair, I've got a couple different cars, I've had Mustangs, I've had, but every group that you go to, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but every group you go to, there's always like, there's something different about that group, the Mustang guys, or the these guys, or whatever, and then you get where the VW people just are so, it's just a different group of enthusiasts, because I think, but the story I always tell is that the, the love of VWs runs so deep. And what you talk about is everybody's got a story. You know, their first whatever was done in a Volkswagen. Right. And, you know, and for years, you know, what we've seen in the past couple of years is you've seen them really become mainstream. You know, you're seeing all these celebrities with them now and right. all these, you know, mucky mucks. And it's just become a really popular car for the mainstream. But what the story I used to always tell was in the past, if you drove up in a VW bug or a VW bus that was all patinaed and everything, you pulled up in your neighborhood, nobody cares. Right. <laughs> nobody cared. Your neighborhood doesn't come out. Everybody doesn't go ooh and ah over it. You just put it in the garage and everybody just kind of snickers and walks by. Yeah. If you drove up, like um, a friend of mine had a Ferrari at the time, and I remember my son went for a ride in it, and and he's like, "Oh my God, Dad! It's like you come up to a stoplight, everybody's rolling their windows down. They all are, everybody, you know, it's just it makes a scene that type of a car. Right? You pull up in a brand new Ferrari, brand new Lambo, your whole neighborhood is going to come out, want to go for a ride, <laughs> want to touch it, they want to pet it, they want to take a picture next to it." You pull up in a Volkswagen, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Right? It's, well, it's, I, it depends. It depends really anymore if, you know, if it's a nice VW, you know, like a nice shiny VW, I think you still get people kind of, you know, because I had the experience where I had my brother-in-law with me one time. We were taking my bus somewhere. And, uh, you know, as I'm driving my bus, he's like, man. Is it like this all the time? I'm like, like what? He's like, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's staring at you. Everybody's waving. Everybody's doing all this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I said, and, and, I, and yeah. I, I personally coined the phrase. I said, it's because, you, you know, you're like a curbside superstar, man. I'm like, you're just rolling down the street <laughs> in something completely different. And it's making the day a little less boring when people see you in yeah. your car, you know. And uh, it's it's always been you know, for me, I think, you know, it, it just depends on who it is because now, you know, back when we were teenagers, nobody gave a crap and they were trying to get us out of there. Like, don't let that guy park yes. here, you know, but now it, it's, it's kind of taking a turn and all the guys that maybe were it, younger and didn't have them 
are wishing they had them now, you know? And, and it has taken a turn because, you know, what everybody comments on are the Johnny-come-latelys mm-hmm. that have ruined the market, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you had Volkswagens when nobody could care, but you, <laughs> you had them because you loved them. You still have them because you love them. The yeah. difference is now other people love them because yeah. everyone's kind of jumped on this train. But, you know, in the past, it's like you will keep that car if everybody else loves it or hates it. You don't care about everybody's opinion. Sure. You have it because you love it. And these other car makes that we, we've done other car stuff, I like the import stuff, uh-huh. you know. And then to this day, we do, there's a few hot rod shops that we'll do uh, some muscle cars with. Uh, we actually do early Mustangs. Um, we do Packards. Yeah, early Mustangs are tough because the the shock towers, you know. Yeah, yeah, there are issues. I mean, it's there's a Mustang shop that that specializes in all they do is early Mustangs, and they're down the street from us. But yeah. I'm very selective on on what will what we'll do. And um, but I'll tell you, it's like nobody has this in the blood love of a car that a VW owner has, you know, we're exposed to all these other makes that people come in with. Nobody has a tattoo of their car on their leg. <laughs> yeah, no. of any other car. Except <laughs> yeah, Cause it's, you know, it's really, it's a lifestyle. You know, I remember when I bought yes. my, when I bought my bus, you know, when I bought my bus, I paid a hundred dollars for it. And the only reason I bought a bus is because my we, my wife and I had now had two kids, and I said, "Well, I'm sure she'll be cool if I build this because the whole family can cruise in this <laughs> thing." You know what I mean? Like that was kind of my thing. You're justifying it, and I think and I think as as a VW enthusiast, we go through life at different stages of like, okay, sure, I'm young, um, I'm I'm a young single dude. I'm gonna have my street ripper VW bug, and then you get a little bit older, you're like, you know what? I want something a little more reliable, a little bit, tame the motor down a little bit, but I want to be able to long haul the thing or mm-hmm. You need more yeah. room, so you get the square back. You know, they make one of every kind. You know, so yeah, it, we just everything is. You have to <laughs> rationalize it with your wife. <laughs> That's right. It's all got to make sense. Yes, so, you have to. You have to. How are you going to argue this to the to the point to your wife? <laughs> right, right. So, so where do you see, where do you see the exhaust world headed for in, in in the VW world? Like, do you have? things you're working on i mean do you see an evolution of more things that are coming up or um yeah i mean uh, i mean we really have have really stuck to you know just the air-cooled vw stuff you know in my blood is street racing asphalt that type of racing Mm -hmm. you know just that you know just a hot street car and you know and as as you know, our generation on up, it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see us ever stopping to do this. Yeah. Um, I got, I'm in the Dirkliner Panzer's car club and, you know, we still have first gen guys that are in the club that are active with cars and you figure we just had our 55th anniversary, right? 55 year anniversary and these are guys that had their cars when they were 16 17 18 so these guys are in their mid to late 70s yeah and there's and they're still in the hobby so to think that you know people that are you know you and our you are age and my age are going to be any different i just i'll 
always be in this. Yeah, we're just, we're just know, seriously. Yeah, we're just thinking a different, a different, a different car for a different level of comfort, and maybe not so low as they used to be, and a little more. You know what I mean? Like it's just the yeah. the evolution comes to fit our lifestyle. But I think you know it's it's. And we've always talked about it takes a certain kind of driver for a Volkswagen. I mean, it's not, you're definitely, you have to be uh, determined and stubborn to own a Volkswagen because every now and again, it's going to surprise, <laughs> it's going to surprise you and you better really yes. love it because you got to figure yes. out how to get the thing back together on the road and, and, you know, keep yeah. moving. So, but uh, yeah, but I'll tell you that the one thing that, you know, that we see changing it's not really changing. It's just uh, other things that we've gotten involved in um, is off-road racing. Um, you know that uh, the off-road crowd, we've 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 always done the glamorous, you know, sand buggy stuff. But as far as um, off-road racing, um, I got involved with um, as an engine builder in near San Diego, uh, Major Performance, and you know he had contacted us about doing some class one type headers race mm-hmm. car headers and um that just really exploded i never knew how deep all that stuff was oh it's huge and <laughs> it's huge and and then uh in the past only in the past few months um we just started doing some class 11 stuff and um it's crazy how many guys are building cars right now yeah it's, and, there's like a resurgence in the in the, in the huge resurgence off-road and, thing and you almost look at, you know, why certain things happen. And what you could see is it's almost like with COVID, how all the street stuff or the asphalt racing is shut down. Um, we see it. It's almost like uh, there's been a few off-road races. Some of them have been canceled or postponed and things. But like the Baja 1000, um, uh, I think the Mint 400 is coming up. Um there's another race coming out. Oh, King of the Hammers. Yeah. And they're they're talking about that, you know, some of the largest classes in these races are the VW crowd. Yeah. And I and I think and, I think it goes back to affordability, you know what I mean? Like cuz that's what makes racing popular, you know, people being able to afford it and and build their cars and even the class 11s and of course it always gets pushed to the extreme, you know, to where it yeah. quickly becomes unaffordable, but it, it's it, it, well, it it's a market that just seems to seems to never die. You know, just keeps coming back and reincarnating itself. Yeah, because uh, I was talking to um, uh, Sletton Engineering, and uh, they're really big. I guess their family history goes way back with off road racing, mm-hmm. and so I had met with them, and and um, and I was asking him like, you know, how much does it cost to have a competitive Class Eleven car? You know, to build a nice clap and and they said well for you know for about twenty five thousand, you can build a whole car <laughs> and you know and, and you can race you know on your transmission you can have you can go at least three races on one transmission yeah right and more than that on the motor and so you know twenty five thousand, it's not it's not chump change but you compare it to, you know, the asphalt crowd on, on racing, and uh, it's a bargain for what you for what you for what you get for seat time. Seat time for sure, you know, because you're going to get a substantial yeah. more amount of seat time in an off road car, you know, just just by proxy of how long the races are in the distance, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So you, we just see that. We just see this. Uh, I don't know if our, if our eyes, if my eyes have just always been closed to the whole scene. Mm-hmm. But, uh, boy, we just I'll tell you, in this past year, we've done a, an awful lot of off-road stuff. No, there, there, there's a there's a there's a huge contingency on that, you know, especially that's why you hear class 11 is just exploding because, you know, a lot of guys are doing these stock bugs, you know, because it's mostly a stock mm-hmm. beetle just race suspension. But, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people get into cool. it. And I think, you know, this whole COVID thing may have been good for something to people to teach people to get back outdoors and do some stuff instead of sitting on the couch on your phone all day. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So that's pretty cool to see. So, um, so as long as, you know, we're, we're still staying really busy with just with the, you know, doing, uh, merge type or good quality headers, you know, we try to stay focused on that. And, um, the one thing that, that we've seen, especially in the past year is the level of quality that people want. Um, you know, so we've, yeah. uh, in the past year, two years, we've, now we offer, you know, um, different levels of quality. And, but I'll tell you, people really want quality parts and well, they'll pay for it. I think that, I think they'll pay for it. You have no problem. You know, people see, people see a value there, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, I think it's like when you go get something to eat, it's like, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're want to go for um out for you know a date night or something whatever you can do with covid you know it's like if you want to go have a good meal it's always you're thinking of the food first you don't ever go and look at them you know when you're going out for a special evening you don't look at what the price is you're like this is what i want to enjoy right price is secondary and i think it's it's very similar to this it's a hobbyist market People love it. They want something. This is their baby. And it's, you know, you've definitely seen this level of quality, a need for higher quality. Yeah. And um, so if anything, that that's, that's what we're bringing up. No, it's, it's there, especially with cars, you know, the level of cars that are being built today, you know, mm-hmm. now, sure. let, let me ask this question. If someone has a specific custom exhaust and, you know, they're calling you and they're just, they're set to wanting this particular type of exhaust, can they call you up and consult with you for a specific type of exhaust sure. for a show car, whatever they're building? Yeah, but I have to believe in it because some people will call, um, you know, just with some wacky idea. Mm-hmm. And if I don't believe that it has any benefit, I don't, I don't think it's going to look the right type of look that I would put our name on it. Right. Um, I won't do it. So I, I tell people no all the time. <laughs> so they got um, they got to be able to sell you on the idea that it's going to be something worth putting the time and effort into. A little bit. I mean, it's like, uh, but a lot of times, like a lot, I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, just if you have a sketch or you have an idea, you have an old picture, you know, we'll, we'll make it to, to that, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I, I have, to, I have to believe in what we're making. You know, it's just, I'm not going to do some ridiculous, goofy thing, um, just for the, just for the buck. I I just, I just don't believe in it. I just, you know, it's, uh, everything that you do, you know, you're giving a little piece of it of yourself. And I just believe that you have to, you have to stand back and look at it and go and be proud of it. And I'm not going to make just some goofy thing just for the buck. Yeah. And now what was... Do you, is there any exhaust that was like the most impossible exhaust you had to do that you'd never do another one? 
of that type of exhaust again? Has there ever, ever been an exhaust system that's been mm-hmm. that challenging for you? Uh, yeah, we did one on, uh, there was a car for Steve, uh, Neendorf, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, it was this over the top, over, over the top cow look car. And, um, that was, that exhaust was a pain in the ass. That was actually, actually, now I think about it, that, that was actually the first Sidewinder exhaust that we made. Yeah. You know, I was thinking that the other day cause I thought, I remember when that car was, that when, car. when that car was shown, and it was mm-hmm. not finished, and it was just over there. I think it was a JCL's booth or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just had, you know, it had uh, the like a, an EFI or geared pulley setup. I can't remember exactly what it had on it, but I do remember yeah. seeing the exhaust system on it and thought, like, man, that's a that's a pretty slick exhaust, you know. And I think that was one of the yeah. first one of the it first was ones that I'd seen like that. And and the agreement that I had actually given him, he said, um, I don't want you to. I don't want you making another one. I want to be the only one that has this. And I forgot what the agreement was. I think I gave him like a year or something. And um, and I remember that that exhaust he wanted, uh, he wanted it to go through heater boxes. And it kind of goes back to the first with Eric Geyser, what we were talking about. I didn't know how this thing was going to fit because that header was, um, I think it was almost two inch diameter yeah. to work with heater boxes. So it was this huge you know, it was, a, it was, that's a lot of big pipe to fit under an apron. Yeah. And, uh, and then with heater boxes, he wanted the option to run that. And then he had wheelie bars and, you know, he had all this crazy <laughs> stuff. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So he said yes to every option. You want wheelie bars? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Heater boxes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> actually, there was a car that I did actually do that I didn't know if I could actually do it. And it was a, um, it was a Lamborghini. And um, it's not VW related, but it was uh-huh. a Lambo and uh, it was brand new. This car came from the dealer right to the shop. We had to take all of the back of the car apart, the bumper, all the bracing just to get to the exhaust. And I remember my dad walked over and he's like, you better just put all the stuff back together because I don't know how you're going to do this. Send this thing out of here, he says. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And I was like, that was the first time I doubted myself, like. You know, I think he's right. <laughs> yeah, I think you got. Some, I think you're onto something. Yeah, well, you know, these, I think you're right. The, Don't put that stuff in my head because then I won't be able to do it. <laughs> especially with you know, especially with the Porsches. The Porsches are really the exhaust system on the Porsches. A lot mm-hmm. of the a lot yeah. of these cars, you've got to pull the whole back half of the car off to access yeah. that stuff. You know, especially that's actually, the, yeah, that's actually um, a car that we don't really. I'm not really interested in doing anything new. Um, we, we actually build, um, uh, there's a, one particular shop that we do, but we do uh, real four cam exhaust. Oh, that, really? that was, a, that was a very difficult exhaust to develop, but yeah, so we do, um, about four different versions for the different four cam cars. Um, so nice. yeah, and that's, and that's something we don't, we never show pictures we, rarely. And I don't, we don't advertise. We don't, it's, it's you know i really keep those on the on the down low type of thing um but they're they're really really time consuming to make yeah i mean that's and that's the thing with a lot of this work you know most exhaust shops wouldn't put the energy or time into these systems because Mm -hmm. they don't see the value in it you know and and i think that's what that's what separates you from a typical exhaust shop is you're not doing it for the buck you're doing it because you believe in the hobby and you 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 know you're also an enthusiast so yeah 
but I mean, the bottom line is, you know, you've got to make a living. Sure. And I, I always believe that you have to just find, you got to find a happy medium between, you know, staying true to yourself and, and having a love for it and you got to make a living, well. you know, and a lot of people have come, you know, we've done a lot of R and D and a lot of development, you know, I've been in business for over 30 years. And so I've seen a lot of people come in with wacky ideas and I'll just cut it off in the beginning because it's like, it's not going to fly. Right. You know, you get, you get a good idea of what's going to work and what's not. No, so for sure. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. Tiger, I appreciate you, you know, giving us so much time, man. I know we've been, we've oh. been yakking at it for a while <laughs> and uh, for sure. I definitely, you know, if, if you've got, new stuff that's going to be coming out or anything yeah, uh, sure. new and exciting, man. I definitely want to be the first one to help break that news yeah. for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We still do a lot of, uh, a lot of shops that we do a lot of one-off stuff for um, buddy Hale. He's always a good customer, oh, yeah. you know, to, um, so we'll use uh, and a lot of stuff that we've done with him through the years. We'll go into production type parts, but um, yeah. And I always tell people I have a whole basement full of bad ideas, Yeah, you know, just hanging on the hanging on the shelf down there. Well, it's just but, you know, it, it's just getting those things out there and and having mm-hmm. having the opportunity sure. and you know being being as small as the scene is. With it's funny because it seems small, but it's really a worldwide VW scene. But mm-hmm. you know, having the opportunity and the platform to be able to do one-off things for guys like Buddy and and shops that want to do something crazy with v bands and all that funky stuff that you know people are seeing the newest of the new and the latest of the latest but uh i definitely you know appreciate what you've contributed to the scene i'm glad we got the story of who built the first fat boy muffler (laughs) you know because i i didn't know that story i didn't know that you were the first guy it was almost like it seemed like it just came out the fat boy just came out of nowhere you know what i mean it was Um, always under the radar but yeah, I appreciate uh, you talking, and uh, your discount coupons are in the mail. <laughs> you, got, so. <laughs> you got it, buddy, man. Well, hey, I, pr- I appreciate you coming on, man. And anybody, uh, appreciate any, it. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, just Google. So <laughs> I don't have a website, which is the funny thing. So on Facebook, they can find you. You've got a Facebook page. Uh, I have Facebook, but I really just kind of uh, – I really don't use it. Uh, honestly, um, you have to, to find us. You really have to honestly just Google or you go on Instagram. Actually, I think it's got our telephone number in there. But, yeah, we don't have a website. Um, it sounds kind of silly, but You're keeping you got to – you got to really gotta, want to get in you touch gotta with you. You got to look for us. That's it. Well, hey, I, I dig it, man. I dig it. All right. Very cool. I appreciate it. Very, hey, man. Very cool. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll, we'll welcome. talk to you again. All right. Take care. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys got to learn a little bit about Tiger and A1 Performance. And if you need some custom exhaust, man, you guys know who to hit up. Next week, I've got a great podcast for you guys coming up on Let's Talk Dubs is going to be the interview with the guy who built the first known Baja. That's right. Next week, you guys can research it this week, see if you can figure out who it is, throw up a guess on Let's Talk Dubs on Facebook, and see if you can tell me who was the guy that built the first Baja. Until next week, guys. Later.